everybody. Welcome back to the Friday Night Dinner Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis. With me, as always, is Dr. Stephanie Sarkis, PhD. You can find over at stephaniesarkis.com. How are you today, Steph? Great. How are you? Doing great, thanks. How's Good. the weather since we last spoke? Temperature. So it's 77 Fahrenheit here in Florida, and it's 77 Fahrenheit in British Columbia. I, I hate to disappoint you. We, we've gone down to 75 but we matched we matched for a brief moment in time yep fingers touched cross cross country slash countries we'll take two degrees difference yeah it's not that far off it's warm there and it's it's cool here so there you go yeah pretty amazing considering north america is a big continent it really is yeah and you're saying it's cool for you but for me i'm like it's a little warm yeah it's all relative true just like this episode of just Gilmore like Girls, <laughs> just, just like no, actually, I don't know. I think I think there's a pretty there's a pretty clear line that Francie is a, is is legitimately a psychopath. Like, I, I, she is. What well, is interesting note to that? So antisocial personality disorder, which is usually what people refer to as psychopath or sociopath, uh -huh. you actually cannot diagnose someone with antisocial personality disorder until they're 18. Okay. So um, you would see something like maybe um, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, you would, you might be able to diagnose um, conduct disorders where she starts breaking laws and getting the more serious legal issues. Mm. Um, and then sometimes you have the conduct disorder diagnosis kind of morphs into antisocial personality disorder. Right. Um, and it's seen as one of the harder diagnoses to treat um, personality disorders. So antisocial, you know right from wrong, but you just don't care. Yeah. And I think we can kind of see that budding in Francie. Yeah. She, she, I think she really cares about herself more so than anything. Um, yeah. What? It's a very uh, interesting episode, that's for sure. Episode 11 of season 3, by the way, in case uh, we didn't mention. But uh, Rory is set up by uh, Francie, uh, who, uh, you know, they're, they're not getting along. After Francie tried to make an impromptu meeting, uh, you know, she, you know, they vote to move funds from the graduation gift towards a uh, certain prom. And then Paris you know, Paris in a great moment, you know, kind of says, well, actually I can bargain so that we can get both. Actually, I don't know if she got back the, um, telescope, but she did say that they would get a pretty decent gift. So. She said that they could, yeah, they could do the telescope now. Okay. I know she said the gift would be decent. So I can't remember if she said it was the telescope again or not, but okay. yeah. Um, yeah. So she actually resolved that pretty well. I was like, that's actually pretty good on Paris. She, she got that dealt with. Um, but yeah, Francie and, uh, Rory butt heads over a blood drive and, uh, Rory actually gets pretty ferocious. Actually, I noticed like she was, you know, being like, no, we're not doing it here. And, uh, yeah, Francie call, says, oh, I want to call for a truce, but, uh, in meeting in a, in a base, well, parkade basement, uh, sets it up so that it looks like she's going behind Paris's back which is not good. Um, why did she, so Rory could come up with where they were going to meet. Why would Rory pick a parking garage at night to meet Francie? Yeah. 
wasn't the deal that she could pick the location? Doesn't that seem weird to you that she would pick a parking garage? Well, speaking of things that are weird about that, how is it that Francie goes to meet her, claiming ignorance to Paris, but somehow has photos of this? Like, well, and also Francie just disappeared too. That yeah. was weird. So I wondered if it was a dream sequence, but apparently not. But did I mean I don't know if I, I was wondering if I video blipped or something. But did it appear like she's talking to Francie, and all of a sudden the car horn goes off, and she turns around, and Francie's gone? Yeah. Where is she gonna go? It's a parking garage that has hardly any cars in it. Yeah. I, I think the visual reference is. I think it. It. I'm pretty sure there's a scene like that in all the president's men um, which is about watergate where um i think they met the informant um in a parking garage the, i mean this this has been a scene probably in a lot of movies especially like movies i remember from the, like the 70s and stuff there's always like parking garages like people meeting like having these clandestine meetings in parking garages so i don't know if it was a visual reference to that mm. but where's francine gonna go yeah i don't know and also, she was, like, pretty fast, too. Like, Rory only turned for a quick second. She was gone. I'm like, how did you... How are you that fast? I can't even hide that fast. Like, no, she did it. Um, oh, you also find out that uh, Emily's being sued by a former maid for wrongful dismissal. Because apparently she clomped her feet around while she cleaned. Which, I guess I actually kind of sided with Emily on this one. Like... They they made it seem like Emily's being so terrible for firing this person, but Emily said I hired her to do a job a particular way. She didn't do it, so I let her go. Like you know what? That's, That's interesting. This yeah. Like yeah. I I think she was a little extreme with it, but I'm like I gotta see where she's coming from. Like maybe you don't. Well, want she to. also said that she pays more than other. Yeah. People do, which I thought was interesting. They actually took a look at that. Um, the writers did, and yeah. and saw that you know maybe Emily has a point to this yeah but the way she handled it was poor because she's basically telling lorelei to lie during the deposition first she doesn't ask lorelei if she can do a deposition and then she does something that you see in quite a few narcissists and dysfunctional families that she brings up and tries to guilt lorelei by saying this is what you do for family mm. and and you know that you know you keep secrets or you do the things you don't want to do yeah. And that has nothing to do with being loyal to the family. That has to do with with um, you know, Emily getting what she wants. So that was classic narcissist, dysfunctional family behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of that, then when Lorelai does it, uh, Emily is not satisfied with what she did in the deposition. So she has it printed out and reads it to her. Yeah. It and was... it's just, it's just, that's where I, w- I'm, I was done with Emily for that episode. Yeah. Because that's classic dysfunctional behavior. And even that felt a little extreme, but I, I guess I can kind of see where Emily is under pressure right now, and she's kind of like, she's probably not used to this kind of thing, so I, I think... Yeah, because that... you said that <laughs> Lorelai was surprised as the first time that the maid had sued her. Yeah, which I thought was pretty funny. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, too, is like, I and not to overly defend Emily, because I think she was still awful, but like, yeah, I, I think for Emily, when she's out of her element, that's when she gets uncomfortable and she starts to freak out. I think for her... When being... she loses control. Yeah. And I think that's what you were like seeing is... Right. Yeah. She lost control and she starts to freak out. And that's when you're like, 
Yeah, I think you've got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, for narcissists, losing control is like one of the worst things to them. Yes. They have to gain that control back somehow. And usually it turns into a narcissistic rage. Um, mm -hmm. And you kind of saw Emily do that, but in a quiet way. I don't think Emily's a big yeller. No. Um, but you could see you could see the contempt just coming from her. She was just seething with contempt about the. It was almost like a frightening kind of, kind of thing, like to see her get so worked up about this deposition, and to mm -hmm. read it and have it printed out and have it waiting, like she was laying in wait like like a lion. Yeah. When they came in the house. Mm -hmm. with this deposition printed out you know it's just very it was very um like that's that's like a quiet narcissistic rage yeah um yeah emily uh yeah doesn't take any of this well and uh, yeah she starts acting out uh and then yeah you also have a subplot with lorelei and uh suki going to some business class to learn how to run an inn which is a bit of a write-off, but it does get, uh, A, Suki finds an old chef that she used to work with, who we find out actually is in love with her, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, while well, they're uh, mingling there after the thing, yeah, we've got uh, Lorelai kind of talking to a guy named Billy or I think the, the actor's name is Billy Burke but uh, his character name is Alex Lessman and uh, yeah they get to talking and eventually uh, the friend visits the end and realizes that Suki's married but uh, the friend's a, the friend of his Alex calls Lorelai and uh, invites her on a date so there we go because he specializes in coffee which really, out of all all the people that you could suggest a coffee date to, I think Lorelai is like the one that that's just like a home run. Like you couldn't have done better than that. So, and, and I'm not sure why it took Suki so long to say to the guy, "I'm married." That seemed very weird to me. I she think she just... was just maybe a little put off by it. Like she didn't know how to handle it, perhaps. You just say, like, what's hard about handling? I mean, I just didn't get, I didn't get that whole thing about why she was. I think was... she was mainly doing it for his feelings, because I think she felt bad for this guy that he was, like, laying oh. out his love for her, and she's like, I'm married. But also, it's on that guy that, like, it's been that long, and you're not going to ask questions about, you know, are you seeing somebody? What's your life like these days? Like, he just jumps into, like, now's my chance to, you know, finally ask you out. It's like, you don't know anything about her. A ring on when she was at the thing. Yeah. When she was at that class. I take it off to cook. Not that they were cooking at the class, but no, no. Um, later. Yeah. It just it felt weird. Like it, the whole. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. Yeah. There's a lot of filler. I think. Yeah, and I think honestly, if I'm being completely real, I think it was all there just to set up a new love interest for Lorelai. Which is fine, it like, like a stretch. yeah, like I think it was there so that uh, Alex and Lorelai get kind of introduced to each other, and now we have a new romantic subplot for Lorelai. So it seemed kind of forced. I didn't sense any chemistry between them. Did you? I think it's a little too early to tell, but okay. I think I think for Lorelai, she really values quick wit. And people who can kind of keep up with her, like, verbally. 
and he can do but that. But the guy didn't at first. He didn't at first, but like eventually he started to, and I think that's where she was maybe getting attracted to him. I think there's uh, just not enough there to say for sure, but I think there's a little bit there that like, okay, like in her eyes at least, she's like, he seems quick witted enough. Like, I think that's when we've even talked about how for Rory too, it's like do a reference to a book or a movie and that's it. That's all you need to impress Rory. But uh, yeah, I think, I think that's a little bit of the case here where he was witty enough that, you know, she probably got interested in him, but whether that'll, that'll persist or not, time will tell, but a lot better than Christopher. That's for sure. So, I mean, that's setting the bar pretty low. Yeah. I mean, when you're Christopher, there's nowhere to go, but up, but, um, (laughs) Well, I'm sure you could get worse. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, but it's interesting because the actor that plays Alex, uh, Billy Burke, uh, you know, he's a relatively famous actor. He was on, uh, he was really? in the Twilight movies. Oh. Yeah. He also uh, was uh, in a CBS drama called Zoo, which I know nothing about. But now I'm wondering, is it about people who work in a zoo? Uh, ooh. One time thing, or was it a series? It looks like it was a series. Yeah, it's a three season long drama, aired in twenty fifteen. Right. Yeah, it's apparently on Netflix too. So you can go watch Billy Burke with a zoo on Netflix. I mean, he looked vaguely familiar. I think the I thing most people would remember him from is probably the Twilight movies. He was uh, Bella's dad in the Twilight movies. <laughs> I'm sure most people are like, wait, Twilight, I think I've seen that. And then they were like, because uh, it's been a while. I don't think I've seen one. Oh, Maybe you, now I need to. I, you know, no, I think you're fine. I think you're okay. Yeah, no, I haven't seen one. Okay. Yeah, I think I think you're okay. Are Although, you saying I'm the better for it? You're, you're, you're actually probably better off not watching that movie. <laughs> Although, what you should do is look up the CGI baby that they had in the last movie and just you can laugh at how bad that looks because it does look awful. It's probably the, one of the worst things. Sniper, they, they obviously had a baby doll. Well, you, you know, a lot of times baby dolls that's... make more sense or a, a real baby no, doll. I mean, this is like, yeah, but they have realistic looking baby dolls. This is like American <laughs> Sniper... Like it was definitely holding like a baby doll you get at a toy store. Oh, did you it's actually look that... it up? No, I saw it. No, oh, okay. you can you can visibly see that this is not a <laughs> this is not even a realistic looking baby. No. It's like it's like they in post they were gonna add a baby in or something and they didn't. It's like somebody I mean, took a baby how... baby doll and like put the baby doll in the oven for like ten minutes and took it out and just everything kind of like sloppily come like messed around yeah yeah looks awful oh on twilight yeah on twilight yeah cgi babies just just whatever you do uh don't 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 ever cgi baby just get a real baby there's lots of them and they're pretty easy actors to work with just use a baby now (laughs) yeah just, just, yeah, just get a re- just get a real baby. That's the the lesson of the day. Don't don't ever CGI baby. Don't skip on don't skip on baby. Yeah. No. Um, cool. Uh, oh, I guess I should mention who wrote this episode. Uh, it was yeah. written by John Stevens and directed by Carla McCloskey. Uh, 
Tarkovsky. Um, yeah, doesn't really feel like an important episode just because a lot of the writers and directors aren't on it. Uh, John Stevens, though, he was a co-producer on Gilmore Girls, so oh. yeah, he later uh, went on to work on The OC. So there's ah, that. and took and took Dave with him. He took Dave. Was with that him. no? That, okay, that was OC. Yeah. How dare he take Dave? Dave was great. But hey, maybe this is where he found him. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, who is your favorite and least favorite performance from this episode? I thought this is the one where Dean confronted Jess, but it's not. So that was my favorite performance. That was the last um, episode. But, but. Right, right. So I've like I've mixed them all up. Um, I thought Michelle was good, but at the same time, you find out that he hurt a dog. This was this seemed like far fetched even for him. Um, you know, we've seen that he's kind of sassy and witty and stuff but then he gets into yeah i've done a deposition before because of the neighbor's dog was barking a lot and she's like i can't believe you did something with the dog and he basically admits to her that he did like he yeah. got rid of the dog yeah and it was like what but yeah. he did it like he did it in such a way that was like just bone chillingly cold yeah um and and I was, you know, so I was impressed with his performance, but that was a very unsettling thing to learn. Yeah. Not exactly something you probably want to really think about too much, but, uh, yeah. Um, Hi. yeah. Gosh, my favorite, gosh, there wasn't that many favorites in this. It was kind of a, kind of a, yeah. I'd say probably, I, I don't know. I kind of like Suki in this, and I don't know why I'm saying that. Maybe I hit my head, but I kind of like Suki in this. I don't so know. Remind me what she does in this episode. Suki. Oh well, with the with the with the I'm married and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was just there was something more to Suki than just I'm a chef. Look at me cook, and I was kind of into it. I don't know. It wasn't that exciting or yeah, interesting. That's true. But it felt like we finally got something more to to Suki than just, oh, here's Jackson, here's me cooking, that's my life, goodbye. So I kind of like right. that. So they developed the character. Yeah, yeah. And then least favorite, I'm gonna go with Billy as as playing Alex. Uh, yeah, I I think he's. <laughs> Here's the thing. I think he's a little wooden, and I'm pretty sure it's his performance. I don't think it's the writing, because obviously the show is very well written in almost any part. But yeah, he's so wooden and just I don't doesn't really deliver his lines as interestingly as he could. So yeah, I'm gonna say Alex. I, I yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if he gets any better. Yeah, I'd go with that, and also just Francie as just a character. I don't like. I don't like Francie, oh, uh, which I think is the point, great right? performance, but yeah, I hate her character. She's awful. Yeah, and, yeah. and I thought Paris was a little off too. Um, that whole, the whole fencing thing, I that was a cool setup, but at the same time, the teacher's just gonna stand there. But we're while also Paris back. is chasing her around the room. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting like deja vu to like season two, season one, where it was like Paris and Rory. They're kind of friends until you know they freak out at each other or something, right? Like. That, it, I kind of got that vibe, and we've had that before, and I just don't like that. Like, 
I, it seems implausible to me that Paris, who by all accounts is a relatively, well, not relative, she is a very intelligent woman in the show, that she wouldn't figure out that Francie's just trying to manipulate her, play some game with her or something, or wouldn't talk it, to her. It seemed implausible, yeah. Yeah, it didn't really seem possible that she would buy into what Francie was trying to And what's the big deal about about um, her saying that Rory told uh, Francie about Paris's boyfriend? Well, why shouldn't she? Like, I didn't understand what the problem was with disclosing that Paris is a boyfriend. Well, and also, too, they... Paris... Uh, didn't go to the meeting in the last episode because she was with her boyfriend. So everyone already knows that she has the boyfriend. So why is this becoming a thing where it's like you, you told yeah. them I had a boyfriend. You didn't go to that meeting because you said you because you were with your boyfriend. Like right. that, it's just yeah, it's it was it was odd. It was a messy subplot. I was not a fan of that. Right. Um. Okay. Uh, favorite reference from this episode? Do you have a favorite? They're talking about the blood drive, and then um, I forget these two characters' names: the blonde one and the dark-haired one. Yeah. And um, dark-haired one has a phobia with the word blood. Oh so yeah. So she sticks her fingers in her ears and is humming. And Paris says, "You know, poke John Williams over there." And John Williams, of course, is a prolific composer and one of the leading composers of Star Wars. So. Yeah. I think all the Star Wars. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, what a show! They even throw John Williams in there. Yeah, I, it the one that I liked it was actually funny enough. Um, it was a reference to a show, like a comedy show, Kids in the Hall. When they were in the in the room, there was a bit on there called uh, "I'm Crushing Your Head" or "Between Two oh, Fingers." Is that like Kids in the Hall? I yeah. was trying to figure out where that was from. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then it. Uh, yeah, he, he, he raise does. your hand if you ever done that. <laughs> oh, I've done that before. I've done that. I've done it a couple too. times. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's a classic kids in the hall bit. And I don't know, it was such a, it was a nice little visual gag because I was like, okay, it doesn't take that much to just show the camera from Lorelai's perspective. You see her just crushing the head, and it was of course makes sense that Rory, or Lorelai would do something like that. So I I really enjoyed that one. And that was one that, you know, we get a lot of verbal references, but it was nice to see a nice visual reference. It was a nice change of pace. So. Right. Yeah, you usually don't see that. Yeah, you're yeah. right. We don't really see, like, first-person camera shots. No, yeah. no. Most of the references are all, like, oh, blah, 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 from 1978 or something like that. Like, it's all through verbal cues. So it's nice to see something a little visual, too. So. Yeah. Nice little something different. Um favorite quote do you have a favorite quote from this episode my quote i think actually was from the last episode it's when um when dean is taking the spider out and and lorelei says um you know be careful don't let his family see you spiders are vindictive i think yeah. that's actually from the last episode um, yeah it was yeah um i i think i i think the crushing your head thing was cute i like that quote just because it's something that we've all kind of done yeah and again i really like just the shot um mm-hmm. and there's something about that it was just like so different than other stuff we've used to in the episode i just thought that was funny yeah and it fits with lorelei's personality too oh 100 percent 
Um, I liked uh, when Emily was on the phone with her lawyer. And then near the end, uh, Lorelai has asked him if he can pick up some ice cream, too. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> Lorelai was being so demanding. Or uh, Emily was being so demanding of uh, the lawyer. So I thought that was pretty funny. Or is this the one, too, where Luke is um, Luke ran out of food because Jess didn't order it or something? And yes. So they're saying, like, what they want. And then they're like, and she's like, and some paper towels. And so <laughs> yeah. adding stuff, Just like, while a, you're out. <laughs> make an order of it, yeah. Right. Um, and I was like, that's pretty accommodating of Luke to ask them what they want. True. And he's going to get it for him. And they were asking them like for two different cheeses on their burgers. And like that's that's. Why that excessive. was on purpose, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. surprised that Luke wasn't like, no, you're just getting one cheese. I'm not getting I'm not getting Swiss out of out of inconvenience here. Um, right, right. You know he's a nurse, so he'll do it. Yeah, he he really likes likes those two. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and then uh, behind the scenes trivia. I'm sure there's some. Uh, yeah, not really too much. Just Suki's friend is from ten years ago, so I guess that was that's a show I want to see. I want to see Suki ten years ago, and or t- ten years at least from the show's timeline when she's working at this other restaurant. I wanted to see that. That sounded like fun. They ever, they ever contemplated doing that as a spinoff? I don't think they did. No. You said that they there's an episode coming up where they tried to do a just spinoff, right? Yeah. But and it's it, it, it's one of the worst episodes. I I, I, I shouldn't. I try not to influence your views, but I'm just gonna tell you right now. I, I don't like that episode. It's it already much. seems weird. Yeah, I think it's coming up, isn't it? Yeah, it's coming up pretty soon. I think what works. What's the worst about it too is nothing ever came of it. Like they never actually made the show. It just is this weird episode that introduces a bunch of characters and subplots, and then. Just nothing ever happens with it because what's that called a backdoor pilot? Yes. So that for those who don't know, a backdoor pilot is when you take an episode of an existing TV show and you bring in an existing character most of the times, and then you'll bring in some other characters and, and plots, and then you take that and they call it a backdoor pilot because you can then take that and say, well, this could be a show on its own, and you can sell it to the network as a show that they would want to pick up. Uh, even though it's not really a pilot in that it wasn't filmed separately. It was filmed as part of just a regular it's, show. So so it's less risk-taking, I'm guessing. Because yeah, yeah. And also, too, like, pilots oftentimes are never shown to the public. So oftentimes the public will never see what a pilot actually is. So a lot of times if you have a backdoor pilot, the fans can see that. And in some cases they'll be like, oh, put this on air. Or like, let's see this. I want to actually see this movie. Or show, sorry. Um, so you kind of get the fans involved a little bit more, and that can always help it get approved a little more if ah. they can actually see it and whatnot. So. And this wasn't when social media was in its infancy, too, right? So, oh, it wasn't even. Yeah, I don't think it was really that big of a thing. Like, I think Facebook, you maybe Facebook started two thousand five, so this yeah. was two thousand three. You maybe have MySpace right. in like a year or two, but that's probably yeah. about it. Yeah. I think the big thing back then was probably MSN Messenger, like. Oh yeah, and AIM. I think AIM was around. That AIM, episode. yeah, that's another one. I remember that because I I was in high school at this time, and I remember that was the big thing. You would go on the computer and tell your parents you were working on homework, but really you were just on. Well, we used MSN Messenger. We we didn't use AIM, but yeah, same thing. You would just go and chat with your friends. So. Uh, I see you be in the library chat with your buddies. 
Yeah, you'd be like, what are you doing tonight? And they'd be like, I'm working on homework, you. And you're like, I'm working on homework, too. Um, so, yeah. The end. I, I, I would love to, <laughs> like, take some, like, 14-year-old and sit them down and get them to use MSN Messenger. I think that would be really funny. They would probably be or like... Or use dial-up? Oh, yeah. You probably don't remember dial-up. I do, actually. Do yeah. Oh, really? I think, like, you in the early know. 2000s, we had dial-up. Oh and, really? Yeah, and uh, it was it was pretty funny because you'd be like downloading something or talking to somebody, and then suddenly, like, especially if you had like a family that was very talkative, you would get like an aunt calling in, and that would like anytime somebody called in on the phone because the phone and the internet used the same line. So if somebody called in it would disrupt the, the internet connection. You're downloading, like if you're downloading something big, it would yes. screw it up. Yeah. Which at the time, like one song was considered big. So it would take like two days. Right, right. It would take two days to download one song. Right. So, right. and then your aunt, like, your aunt Cloris call. calls in and you're like, I hate you, Aunt Cloris. Why are you calling in? Disrupted right. me downloading. Right. You know the people, like, you call your friends and be like, don't call now. Let's talk now because I have to download something. Yeah, like you would actually alert people that you knew called a certain time. And then when we got broadband, that, that was that was like game changer. I'm like, I don't have to Yeah. Uh, right. have fear of phone calls. I can do whatever I want. So. Some of us <sighs> still have fear of phone calls. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's probably some people who use dial-up. Oh. Well, I yeah. think there's some. There's probably some areas that that um, I don't think some rural areas that don't have broadband. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah, I feel like even then nowadays they probably have something that's better than broad than dial up. Like there's, I feel like there's no way dial up is still a thing, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um. Anyways, that was a, that was a tangent on internet back in the early two thousands. Well, it's than... important to educate the kids yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah. And really now, I'll you're going to take for granted that you can, like, go on your phone and just message somebody. Whereas right. you're going to go to your friends and be like, guys, I kid you not. I listened to a podcast where they told me that a landline and your computer's internet share the same line. And then your friends will be like, "That's there's no way that's true. They won't believe you. Well, way back in the day when my parents were kids, they would have a party line. So that meant that on the phone... So this is the internet, but on the phone, you would pick it up and some other house would be talking on the phone. And so you had to pick up the phone and see if it was available. That's funny. So they didn't even have their own phone lines. That's, that's You can too imagine funny. that. So you had like absolutely no privacy. Yeah. What if you're like, hey, why don't you come over for some hooky? And they're like, excuse me, Diane, what are you talking about? Right. Like you could just listen in on people. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little weird. I'm sure there was a click to it, you know, like you could hear probably, it. Probably, yeah. But yeah, you that could, was called a party line. If you could probably hear someone like breathing on the phone or something like that, or like mm -hmm. background noise or something, but yeah. And I'm pretty sure the last party line in the U.S. didn't go out of service until just recently. Pretty mm. sure. There was still a party line. So. It was probably in like Oregon or something. Like, they seem really like, they like to like, keep, keep it old school. Uh, sorry i think it was in a rural community i think is where it came from okay i'm i'm pretty sure it was fairly recently that they stopped doing party lines but now now i want to see so yeah i mean they still may be around maybe so. 
Uh, where were we? I think we're behind the scenes trivia. Oh yeah, we did that. Mental health observations. I don't think there is too much of any. Oh, there's a lot. Oh, there there's a lot of mental health observations. I'm so wrong. We talked about you know, it's... Hmm? I'm wrong. Okay, let's let's hear it. So yeah, this one was chock full of stuff. So first again, we have um, Emily basically telling Lorelai to lie without saying it. So then she's got deniability uh, by saying, no, I didn't tell you to lie, right? Because she's like, well, you do this for family. And that's just a guilt trip. And that has nothing to do with, I mean, this whole thing about family loyalty, yes, you do. In dysfunctional families, you will hear like, don't talk about this because, you know, be loyal to the family. When that's just code for, we don't want our secrets getting out. Yeah. So she's basically, you know, and also she has Lorelai, you know, she she goes ahead and tells her attorney that Lorelai's willing, you have to actually say like she's willing to do this. So that means Emily lied about it yeah. to get the lawyer to call Lorelai. And Lorelai, for whatever reason, doesn't say no. And, and Rory's helping her come up with ways to tell the truth, but not the truth. Yeah. And you can see that, you know, and usually in depositions, you answer just the question. That's usually what they, you know, recommend that you do. And you see them from the transcripts that, again, Emily is reading to them, that she starts answering the very Lorelai format. You know, like she just keeps going with stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm guessing she was probably also nervous because, you know, doing a deposition is kind of nerve wracking. So, um, mm -hmm. so when you, because I've done some as an expert witness, um, and you know it's it's kind of high pressure. So, so Emily set Lorelai up to do this, guilted her into doing it, and then goes over the transcript with her. Yeah, that was criticizing it, laying in wait for them to show up. And I'm assuming there was no dinner involved, so I'm assuming she just had them over to talk to them about this. Yeah, or maybe they it did goes it the through phone? it when Lorelai didn't want to do it in the first place. Hmm. So it's really important that we that we not only set limits but we enforce them. You know, yeah, we set our boundaries. Boundaries are not negotiable. So you set a boundary and you stick with it. But you know, their relationship, like like a lot of relationships with parents, is complicated. Yeah. But she put Lorelai in this really bad spot. And again, you see this quite a bit in dysfunctional families, families where there's substance abuse, um, other kinds of abuse, uh, mm -hmm. where. You know, they're told that you know you need to do this for the family you need to keep this quiet for the family yeah so there's a lot of there was a lot of that and again reading the transcript to her and criticizing her for it is just was just beyond so so yeah emily's emily's narcissism came out flying colors um, and then we've got francie who's up to no good and who pits people against each other and yeah. you see that in some cluster b personality disorders like histrionic uh, borderline, um, antisocial, uh, narcissistic, and you see that kind of pitting people against each other or, or either thinking that people are all good or all bad. There's no ability to see that people have nuances. Mm. Um, and we don't even really know why Francie's doing all this. I mean, it seems it's kind of vague. I, it seems like she's doing this just for sport. I don't really know. Does, do we even get into why Francie's doing all this? I think it's mostly just because she just doesn't like Paris. Like, I don't know. I think she feels threatened by Paris. Um, also, too, like, she seems like the kind of person who, like, she's the senior class president. And even though she doesn't have as much weight as the president or vice president, 
I think she seemingly, in her mind, she thinks, yes, I, I'm the one controlling everything, which is not good. So that's an example of someone that, you know, if she was 18, um, might possibly qualify for antisocial personality disorder. That kind of, I mean, it depends on the extent of it. I'm not going to say that's where diagnosis is. But yeah. when you see someone that has that knows right from wrong and doesn't care, um, and actively pits people against each other, yeah, um, that's that's. So she was triangulating. That's what triangulating means: is when you get somebody kind of in the middle, or you get, or you try to get people to fight. Mm. And people have cluster B personality disorders. Sometimes will kind of you know get two people pitted against each other and like sit back and just have some popcorn and watch them fight. Yeah, which is what she's doing. Right. At least to the degree That's, that... I, and that like, sounds the thing saying she's a loser or whatever, right? Or leper? Yeah. Sends her, you know. And I'm thinking, why would Rory even open that? Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't just toss it back at her. Right. Especially because Rory also, you know, dragged her into the bathroom and said, you know, and kind of turned it on her and said, you know, blah, 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 what are you doing? And that was wrong for you to do that. And, you know, so, so Rory's being really tough with her. But then is, you know, not saying anything about this letter that says leper on it. Mm-hmm. So it's like she she turned, I don't know, maybe it was just that the, she was discombobulated by the whole thing that Francie pulled. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's what they do, too, is they kind of get things so confused that you have no idea kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, it's really hard to believe that Paris would fall for that without talking to... Um, Rory first, or you know the fact that she's chasing her around with an epee, the fencing stick. Yeah. Um, and I anything about it. Yeah, again, it just felt very odd character development wise. So I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of that. I mean, no. again, I get that these two have had their differences in the past, but I think they've largely resolved it. It just felt felt backwards for no particular reason. I think that's also the power that people that do this stuff can have is that they will turn friends against each other with, yeah. and they know, they know what to poke at. Yes. It's almost like they have an extrasensory idea of, you know, what's going to hurt this person psychologically the most. Mm-hmm. For sure. And for, and for Paris, it's loss of control, right? So, yes. she, so Francie goes after, Hey, um, she's meeting without you here you go, and that's going to drive Paris nuts, right? Because Paris is in the control. Yeah. Right, and for Rory, she knows that if she says, let's have a truce, well, Rory's a nice person, so she's going to, you know, go with it. Yeah, she's not going to necessarily she, say no, because she kind of wants to keep the peace, right? So. Right, so so Francie knew exactly what to do to drag both of them into this, which is what people like this do. Yes. They know your psychological weak spot. Yeah. So it's not worth going down to their level because you will lose every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way this could have been handled is, you know, Paris saying to Rory, hey, I was told this. Let's talk about it. This seems weird. It doesn't seem like something you do. Mm-hmm. But again, these are 16, 17 year olds, right? So can't expect them to Yeah. do that. But if you ever have somebody tell you something that just seems kind of fantastical or even if it's not fantastical, you just think it's strange. Talk to the person and say, hey, so-and-so said this to me. I'm just wondering if this is accurate because it doesn't sound like something that you would do. Yeah, 100%. And, and many times it's, the person's just been lying. So. Yeah. 
And Francie, just as a character, I think maybe just is trying to vie for control when she doesn't have it. And I don't know. I think, to, in my eyes at least, it's a little concerning that, yeah, she is so controlling in this situation where she has some control. Like, she has, you know, some level of control over what is said and done in that uh, meetings, but... More she wants more and that's yeah it's just it's unhealthy it's not good so i'm just surprised that somebody hasn't stepped in well that teacher's that's like sitting there the whole time he's like oh, okay right yeah well, that's, <laughs> well, that's concerning too is it or the you know or the fencing teacher's like oh i have one student chasing the other with you know with a stick sure yeah go ahead. like you think you would intervene at that point right like i understand the the needing to heighten the drama, but a teacher's not going to let that happen. No, no, most wouldn't. Um, all right, I think it's time to rate this episode. What are you thinking for a score? A seven. I felt like the psychological components were interesting um, about just uh, showing the narcissistic nature of Emily. Yes. Um, and I thought it was. A relatively good episode maybe not one of the top but it was fairly solid okay uh, i think i'm gonna give this episode a four okay. yeah i think i like here's the thing season three is a really good season by and large i, I do like most of season three mm-hmm. um it it's kind of one of those things where the show it, season three is where you kind of have that blend of like quirk and also like all the, the points just kind of match up. Um, but I think it's a higher standard for an episode, sorry. So it's a higher standard for an episode because episode I, I think so. Like I expect good. a lot out of season three, because I think season three by and large mm-hmm. gets what Gilmore girls should be. But if I'm, if there's two big, subplots about season three that I think myself and others would say you can look to as the weak points in season three. It's Francie and it's Alex. And this episode, I think for me just triggered me because I saw both of them and I'm like, I don't like Francie. In fact, I kind of hate Francie. She's terrible. And I don't like Alex either. Um, so no chemistry between them. Yeah. Like, like he's not. he's so dull. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I don't want to spoil what happens. But to maybe this. maybe the character was designed for us to be kind of on the fence about him. Yeah, I think like Lorelai, you know, you know, we'll see where he he lands. You know, maybe things get more interesting, or who knows what, right? But I I for now at least he's dull, and I don't like him. And yeah, Francie is insufferable as well. And this episode just really has two things that I don't like. Although I will say that I was a little more positive on Alex on this rewatch than I've been in the past. Uh, I don't know. I, I still don't like him that much. On the last episode? Sorry? Episode? Compared to what to him on the previous episode? This is the second time we've seen him, right? No, this is the first time. Oh, wait, yeah, because they introduced, they were at the classes episode, yeah. Yeah. I, I what yeah. a nightmare of a speaker. Yeah, oh, that was a, that was a bad nightmare. speech. I don't know, I just, I don't know. I don't think he's that interesting, and 
yeah, I things are gonna. He, he does change a little bit, and I think we're we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, at least at this point in the story, I'm I'm not a fan of him, and I'm not a fan of Francie. And this episode just kind of has two things I don't like about season Elf three. Right. Yeah, I did like his quote where he was like, "Hey, by the way, this is a date," because he was kind of saying, "Hey, you know, I'm the guy that was with the the guy that tried to ask out your married friend." Yeah. You know, so and. And he's like, just so you know, this is a date. She goes, oh, yeah, I got that idea. But I will say, too, like, this episode does still feel like a season three episode. So, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's just got things about that I don't like about the season by and large. So. Francie just seems like unnecessary drama. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's pushing anything further. Yeah. You don't want the character on and it's going to push the plot further. And it just, it doesn't. It, it creates this kind of false drama mm-hmm. that I don't think is necessarily needed. Yeah. I mean, the episode could have been fine without the Francie stuff. Yeah. Nobody would have noticed if it wasn't there. And I think that's a sign that it's kind of superfluous is that it could be gone and we'd be just fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I think that's it for this episode. Stuff you can find over at stephaniesarkis.com. Gaslighting is the book and Talking Brains is the podcast. And I'm over at threeingernerds.com where you can find me almost every other day posting new content. And with that said, we'll see you all next time where we're going to talk about the next episode, Lorelei Out of Water. Bye for now.